Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. Today's topic is all about advocacy, specifically as to the who, what, where, when, and why of every autism advocate. We're speaking with Jennifer Phelps of Engage Behavioral Health in Tallahassee, Florida. She's going to share her personal story of the path that led her to where she is today. It's pretty cool. And as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, we sure would love for you to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and share with a friend. That's how we make our voice stronger. Thanks for listening. Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism, but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. Every autism advocate's story is different. Sure, they share similarities, but the journey of the advocacy, the who, what, where, when, and why, can sometimes be vastly different. Jennifer Phelps founded Engage Behavioral Health in Tallahassee, Florida in 2008 after years of studying and working with individuals on the autism spectrum and other developmental disabilities. So that's the who, what, where. The win started at a young age. In middle school at age 12, she began volunteering to work with individuals with disabilities in Florida, and then she read Catherine Maurice's Let Me Hear Your Voice. Then her nephew received a developmental disability diagnosis, and all of that, my folks, was and is her why. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with all of our listeners and share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you. I love your mission and, and what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we're really excited. We've got a pretty awesome tribe here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that you're part of my autism tribe. And we've just got an amazing group of people from all over the world and really that just come together and rally together and support each other. So thank you for for being part of our support. I've read a little bit about you online, and today's kind of topic is focused on advocacy and really what that looks like for every advocate. Because even though, you know, like I stated, there are similarities, you know, there's some differences as well. And I thought your advocacy story was pretty cool. It started at a young age. And can you share with everyone about how your passion started? Yes, and thank you. It did. Sometimes I... um I really can't believe how long ago it started and how many years have passed that I have been um, been able to work with so many amazing families. So when I was um, about seven or eight years old, my brother actually married a woman who had a child with um, a developmental disability. Mm-hmm. And that's when my interest in working with kids with special needs really first kind of emerged. I love spending time with him. He was just one of my favorite people um, to visit and see in the holidays. He was such a brilliant and special individual. Um, He was not verbal, um, but his ability to communicate and to still make jokes was just amazing. That's awesome. And it was really through seeing how my sister-in-law and my brother, um, the joys that they had and also the struggles that they had in advocating for him and trusting other people and just finding the support that over the years, my interest grew and grew and grew. And, and I, I knew I wanted to work with kids with special needs. I didn't know what that meant or what that would look like. Sure. Um, and then I happened to be, uh, 
nannying for a child one summer when I was in middle school going into high school and the mother or the grandmother owned a bookstore and she brought home for me as a way to say thank you a book called let me hear your voice it's really truly amazing that she picked this book I knew nothing about it I had never heard of applied behavior analysis um, but I read that book at 12 years old and I absolutely fell in love with everything I read. The the science that was described in it, the family, the impact it had on a child. I was just, that was it. That's what I knew, wanted to do. You were hooked. I was hooked, totally hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I drew, I you know, I, I drew the floor plans for a clinic that I wanted to have. I don't know how I knew <laughs> that a clinic would, clinics would even exist. I wish I had the floor plans. Oh, that really would be well. amazing. It would, I could still visualize them. Like, I remember kind of what it looked like, and they were so awful. I mean, I had everybody segregated, like different disabilities in different parts of this clinic. It was very <laughs> horrible. Um, but my passion was huge for being, especially being that age. Um, and so I started volunteering in classrooms when I was in high school at local elementary schools um, in the, their autism units and their special education classrooms. So I spent any time I could growing up um, working and volunteering in different capacities. And then when I was 18, I actually worked in a group home for adults. Um, and they had a house mom that would get a 72 hour shift off. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would go in and I'd work her 72 hour shift. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's a lot for an 18 year old. There's so much. Honestly, I, I don't, I don't think I, ever thought things like thought about the pros and the cons or why was I doing this I just loved being with them and I loved helping them and so I would work her 72 hour shift and it really is comical to think back all these people that lived there were older than me yeah (laughs) I would be cooking them dinner and I definitely had no idea how to cook Um, but it was the most amazing experience getting to know them taking them to doctor's appointments to community dances and and really getting to know their parents and what it was like for them to have their adult child live away from them in this group home and the trust that they had to have and I really wanted to become and create a business where families could have that peace of mind Um, I always wanted to be a mom and Mm -hmm. I think it just really resonated resonated with me that people needed, families needed a place where they could feel safe and yeah. that their kids, they could drop their kids off or they could have somebody come in their home and really focus on the skills that needed to be worked on and having fun and not worry about what that person may do wrong or if they not be able to trust them. Sure. And when I was in graduate school I created the name of I just created the name of a company I incorporated it I really still didn't know what that meant I just had this passion <laughs> to do it and I knew it would be something so I created a horrible name it was called advanced behavioral systems yeah it's a horrible company name <laughs> um, I graduated and I tried working for a couple different companies nobody was specializing in early intervention at that time that was in 2006 2007 at least in Florida Mm -hmm. there there really wasn't any place for me to work so um, I had spent many years working for private families uh, but there was no company and I really wanted to see that happen so 
I contacted the University of South Florida and said, hey, I'm here. Do you have any students that might want to work with me? And I interviewed a couple students, and I still don't really know what I was doing, but we started working with clients, and then we just grew from there. Um, wow. I think, I think the beautiful part about it was we had this team of of students that were all working on becoming BCBAs that were all so passionate that we never really looked up from creating um, the programs for the clients and what the families needed. And years went by and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have like an actual company. This happened. Yeah, I'm <laughs> legit. There's like, yeah, there's like, these are employees. Like I probably need a lawyer and like, yeah, like I probably need like QuickBooks and I need to, to keep track of what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. with the industry um, and, you know, just ended up being, um, I think, through our advocacy and our passion for the families and providing for them the best services possible, I ended up at this big company. That's amazing. I think it's a story that a lot of people, at least in the autism community, can share is that sometimes if you don't see something, you can't find something that you need, you just create it. And that is so powerful because that's really how we've advanced, how we've progressed to where we are today. And it just takes those people that are really, you know, just, okay, I really, I don't have QuickBooks. I don't have a lawyer or whatever, but we're going to do this because I see the need and this is my passion. And so I'm just going to do it. Right. And that's that's a really, really cool thing to share. You know, so yours started at an early age, and of course, you had the personal experience because your nephew, you know, you just in, enjoyed engaging him. And so, this advanced behavioral systems. So, did you just kind of do away with that, or did you do a name yeah. change? So or? it was so funny because as we grew, and there were a couple of us in the Tampa Bay area who um, were growing at the same time, and people used to call and say that they were getting therapy with Jennifer Phelps, and that wasn't my last name at the time, or, and they would name the people instead of the company, because all of our name, company names are so similar. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, and I was like, oh, that scares me, because I'm not actually the person giving you your therapy, like, I want to, I want to make sure you know when you call that, that it's not going to be me. Yeah. So, I actually worked with a marketing company, and I shared with them what my mission was, and what I really wanted, and they came up with the name Engage, um, and it was such a perfect name, as soon as they presented, like, 10 names, and as soon as they presented that one, I was like, that's it, because all day, I am saying, we need the therapist to be fully engaged with the parents, we need the kid to be engaged, we want, mm-hmm. them to, help. We want to help the parents and the therapist be engaged with the other therapist, and I want to go and I want to engage with the child's school, and it was really all about creating a hub, kind of, of communication and of therapy, where we could all engage with each other about the child, and then go and do our jobs, and the name just the name just fit perfectly. Yeah. No, I agree. I love engage and you're right. It, it's all about engaging the children, the parents, you know, other autism advocates. And communication is so critical. And, you know, I talk to parents every day about, oh, I don't know about ABA therapy because I've read some just terrible things about it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that it, that's not the puzzle piece that's missing for, a, you know, a particular child. I've seen amazing things happen with Alex because of ABA therapy, but it really did all come down to communication. And... Yeah, 
yeah, not just with Alex, but we had some not so great ABA therapy experiences. And I tried really hard not to let that jade me from the therapy process itself. And when we really did find a therapy group, they were really big on communicating with the parents. And that made all of the difference in the world. And I knew exactly what they were working on with Alex. I was able to implement those strategies at home and everyone was always on the same page. And that was absolutely critical. Can you share a little bit about kind of how you were communicating with parents and, you know, enabling them? I've heard the story that you just shared so many times Mm -hmm. over and over again from from parents. And it's it's so unfortunate that so many people have that experience. And I I do think um, as the industry has grown and more experienced people are are getting involved and and, and even experienced in in kind of healthcare and how to really run um, a business and not just provide the therapy itself that Mm -hmm. more and more um, we're going to see less and less of, of that happening. Um, so I've always had a philosophy that it was every therapist's job to work themselves out of a job. Mm-hmm. And sure. the only way that that can be accomplished is by communication because the family has to be the center um, of, of everything. It is you mm-hmm. as the parent are um, the expert on your child. It's not, it was not me or one of our therapists. We were the experts in a science and it's really the bridge of those two things together, which can only happen with communication um, yeah. and sharing and, and, and honestly compromise, right? Like mm-hmm. not everything we recommend works for a family based on their situation sure. or Maybe what we're saying is absolutely what is needed, but the family's not okay with it for some reason yet. Yeah. And I think where I've seen it go so wrong is when you have one party, one party or the other, just kind of do that hard. No, and I don't. We're not gonna. We're not gonna go there. We're not gonna talk about it. We're just. We're not doing that. Yeah. Um, I believe it really. You know, to be a good team, there has to be an element of compromise and really great communication. Mm-hmm. And as a company. You know, that was my philosophy, and, and that happens to be just a strength of mine as a leader. And it was easy um, when I first started and I had my team to ensure that they were adopting that same vision and mindset when communicating with people mm-hmm. and with communicating with clients. And then we went through a little bit of period of time as we grew that that message was becoming harder and harder to trickle down. And that culture was becoming harder and harder to get to the next group of BCBAs. And so we stopped, um, I believe it was around 2011 or 2012, we stopped accepting new clients for about six months because I realized that things were getting off track from that type of communication and that vision that I had. Mm -hmm. And we... We just stopped and we worked on our processes to help us be able to ensure that people were having that communication with families, that Mm -hmm. we were able to actually hold them accountable and that we were able to, on the front lines, give them that training um, and, and really pass down that culture that we wanted. And so after that, after we really put in those parameters and those those trainings and accountability measures, we were able to grow and know that families were being communicated with in the way that we envisioned it happening from the, when we started. Yeah. 
I think it's important to mention too, I do believe that a lot of services that are involved in the autism community, whether it's ABA therapy or occupational or speech, there is this misconception or just I know parents are like, these places are making a ton of money. But what I find to be really curious is, and this is based on my personal experience, the good therapist that we have been involved with, it truly is not about the dollar sign. It really is about, I mean, these these people have become members of our family. And they are, when Alex graduated, from his ABA therapy program, his very first BCBA, who's the owner of the business, cried. And he was so proud of Alex and, um, and still to this day is a very good friend and continues to be one of the most amazing autism advocates. And so, you know, just because a person is in a business or owns a business doesn't make them any less of an autism advocate or caregiver for your child, because I have seen them fight battles for my son and for others. Such a great point. I mean, and and to that point, I ended up changing our, the way we delivered our PTO. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this sounds contradictory to what you would want, but because every BCBA and the registered behavior technicians are so passionate and so dedicated to their clients, they would never take their time off. Mm. So I actually made the policy where like the days didn't roll over because I'd have employee an employee for five years and all of a sudden they would have like, you know, hundreds upon hundreds upon right. hundreds of PTO days yeah. and they weren't taking care of themselves, right? We all know to be a great mom, to be a great professional, you really have to take care of yourself too. Yeah. And so we made them so the days were not rollover days and then they kind of forced them to use them um, in the year that they occurred. And we Mm -hmm. did a lot of other things to kind of ancillary fund benefits to try and help them integrate taking care of themselves because they put their clients before anything else. They always, I have yet to meet a clinician that does not put their clients before themselves. Yeah. Hands down. I would, I would get text messages on weekends Hey, I know that Alex kind of had a rough day on Friday and just wanted to check on him. They really care. Um, and I would say, you know, as more of a mid-sized company, I don't think we were offering the highest paying rates um, compared to some of the more the larger um, groups in the area. Mm-hmm. Yet we did not have a hard time hiring staff because what we did offer was an amazing culture, an amazing program for mentoring them and teaching and supporting them as clinicians and helping them grow their careers clinically, as well as being so focused and putting clients first before anything else. They wanted to work for us, even though they may have been able to to get a little bit more money down the road. That really does make a lot of sense because even I myself have worked in companies. One of the companies I worked for, and it still remains the favorite, my 
favorite company to have ever worked for in the past. We had such a family environment. And they did the same thing about PTO. You could only roll over, I think, two days of PTO. You had to take those PTO days. And when you were off work, you were not to touch your computer. Like you do not email like that is if you take a vacation, you take a vacation like that is that is your time. That's for when you've refill your tank and it so worked out can't say the the pay was like absolutely the very best pay although they did pay very fairly but there were so many benefits to that company and working for that company that it it was just amazing and that the trickle effect that you have when you you can tell when you are working with a therapist if they're depleted and that has a trickle effect on the on the quality of care. Yes, yeah. I mean, you want them to always, they want to always be able to give 110%. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would you know, say, too, is I think now that I have my own kids uh, that are six and five, and this is their, really their second year in school, Mm-hmm. It's so it's such a different experience to actually be the mom at a school instead of the professional. At yeah, a school. <laughs> um, it's been kind of kind of interesting to be on the other side of things. And I have to say, I never realized how much over the years I was learning from the parents that I worked with. Oh, interesting. You, you know, you kind of think as yourself as I'm the advocate and I'm here to help you. It's so different um, now being. A mom and being in the school and you know maybe wanting to advocate for your kids and mm-hmm. getting to know just how you interact with other people I was truly spoiled being in a community of people of moms um, and, and dads but it was typically moms with mm-hmm. children on the spectrum yeah it is such a different um it's just a very different community, and I really, I really was very spoiled. Um, not that I mean, all the parents I know are absolutely amazing. Sure. Um, for my kids' school, but there's a different level of understanding and acceptance, and like we're here for each other, and we're going to help fight for each other, and each other, and each other's kids, and we're going to love our kids, each yeah. other's kids, and have their back and support each other in a way that 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 is is very special. Yeah. Um. I really learned, I think I'm a much better mother having known so many parents and how they advocated for their kids and how they interacted um, with people for their kids than I would have been without it. And your your children, I do believe, because you've been in the role of advocacy, your children uh, have seen that and will continue to see that, and they will be advocates themselves. So I really wish that, because oh, there have been times I have had to bite my tongue and hold back some choice words, because just recently we were at the pool, my son and, and myself, and we, you know, they were playing, and Alex was trying to insert himself, which was a really big deal, into this little group of friends. They were already friends, but Alex was trying to be their friend. Sure. And and it can be a little awkward, you know. Yeah. And and so they were being not so nice to him, you know, saying, Get away, we don't want to play with you. And the mother was right there. <sighs> 
And I wanted to, you know, I try as much as possible to have those as being learning opportunities, not only for the child, but also for the parent. But there are times when I'm, I just, I'm shaking my head because I really just can't understand why the parent's not saying anything. Right. Like you need to advocate and teach your children to not only advocate for themselves, but advocate for others. That's what it's all about, whether it's autism or anything else. Right. Yes, I would agree. I 100% agree. And it is, um, it shouldn't be a unique skill set to know how to see situations like that and and interact and and model and teach our children what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I find that there is a lot more judgment and judgment on the parents and on the kids who are just kids than I would have ever expected. And it's really, it's really heartbreaking to me because just kids are just kids. It's they're, 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 they need a model and they need to be taught in every scenario that comes up. And we're the adults that are responsible for doing that, not to go and talk about each other or make excuses for our children. And I just, it was never, I never saw anything like that amongst the families and the schools that I worked in with the parents. Yeah. Um, if there was a, a school, I could see wanting to do inclusion in the reverse, right? Like I could see if there was a school for children with autism that I could bring my kids to, yeah. that would be easier than doing it the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really, unfortunate, really, really an unfortunate thing to be able to, to say. Right. Yeah, it is. And I, I always have said, I want Alex to be a kid. That's absolutely everything that right. I want and have ever dreamed yeah. for, for it to be. However, I am also raising him to be a great husband and father. And I want right. that for him. It's not, he's not going to be six years old forever. So I, you know, every little chance I can take to educate him, I feel like we'll have a a bigger and better payoff uh, in the future. If there's one thing, just from being on the other side, so you're not an autism parent, but you are an autism service provider um, and work with autism parents all the time. What are some of the most important questions that parents should be asking people like yourself in, in a therapy service? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I've actually always wanted to put together a list for people. Yeah. Um, I think the most important question is for parents to ask the company that they're going to work with or the BCBA that they're going to work with how they're going to monitor and ensure that they're that the therapist working directly with their child is following all the programs and all the recommendations exactly the way they instructed them to. Mm -hmm. And then if they find that they're not, that they need a little bit more training or they need a little bit more supervision, how do they go about doing that? And how do they go about billing for that? Mm -hmm. And I say it that way because there's times where insurance doesn't cover those things. And you want to make sure that you're with a company that says, that doesn't matter, we're going to do it anyway. Right. I think we're past, I used to say it was really important to ask how much experience did the, does the person have? How many children with autism have they actually worked with? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think we're past the point of being able to ask that question because there's just too many kids that need services and too many inexperienced providers to wait for one that has experience. Mm-hmm. So the question really becomes, okay, I have my services, I have my therapist, they 
I might have the first child with autism that they've ever worked with. And that can be okay. That could be wonderful. But how are they trained? And yeah. how are they supervised? And how are they held accountable? Yes. And those three things all need to be answered before you, um, I think before you sign up. That's a very great point. Yeah, you can have like a killer RBT and they could have just started the program. They may be they may be practicing for the rest of their lives. I mean, they may be one of the best providers ever and may become a BCBA, but they haven't worked with any children. But if they're supervised, if they have a BCBA that they're working with and can be held accountable and sticking to the program and thing, that can make all of the difference in the world. And it should be right. that way. And we all had our first child that we worked with. I mean, I'm so thankful for the company that, that took me in um, before sure. I was even in graduate school. I was in my undergrad and I, I worked for a company in Fort Lauderdale that gave me, you know, four day training. It wasn't that much. And, but they had a BCBA coming every week to that house to help me. They had somebody um, shadow me and me shadow them for two weeks in the beginning before I ever saw a client by myself. Um, and so it's that training aspect and the accountability and case management meetings to talk. So to give people the opportunity to say, I'm having a hard time running this program. Um, sometimes just without the child present so that they can have a really good dialogue mm-hmm. without um, worrying about, you know, maybe what the child's doing or being interrupted. And so those things are, are critical to somebody developing into being a really good therapist. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, you give some great points, and uh, it's been a pleasure to to speak with you. And I hope that all of our listeners, you know, kind of taken Jennifer's tips and the questions that you can ask. Maybe your current therapist, or maybe you're just starting therapy, and um, and then also maybe read the book. Let me hear your voice. I think there's a lot of passion that has definitely been developed from Jennifer in reading that book, and maybe. Um, that can that can strike some passion in you as well. So, Jennifer, thank you so much for being a part of my Autism Tribe and sharing your time today. Thank you so much for having me and for everything that you're doing. I'm so thankful to be able to be part of your tribe. Autism advocacy comes in all shapes and colors. Just like individuals on the spectrum, when you've met one autism advocate, you've met one autism advocate. As we continue to educate, support, and empower our communities, Reach out and find the different stories. Dig deep to find the who, what, where, when, and why. I guarantee that under every rock is an incredible story of patience, perseverance, dedication, and love. Thanks for being a part of my autism tribe. See you next week.